What are you? He's a bit different looking, but he's still the same. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. We're living in a world where real monsters exist. They are not your neighbors, not your friends. They are imposters, changelings of the highest order. I don't feel ready. But that's why they say I am ready. Because I'm feeling. For the undead, life begins again. In the Flesh, on BBC Three. everyone and welcome back to who and company my name is brent and i'm drew and if you're a fan of doctor who podcast you've no doubt heard of this month's guest she's a fellow southerner a writer of fanfic and hosts her own show terminus a doctor who podcast it's nicole mazza we talked to nicole about her podcast her own love for doctor who and the recent reveals for series 11 and then we enter the land of the living dead or rather partially deceased as we review Nicole's TV pick, the UK series In the Flesh, and be warned there will be spoilers for Series 1. But that's not all. We also have a new addition to the Who and Company crew. This month we've expanded into another country as James and Ian, formerly of The Doctor Who Podcast, form our new UK team. They were on hand along with special guest David Barnett at a special screening of The Day of the Doctor with special guests Stephen Moffat and Marcus Hearn, and they'll share their thoughts in a short segment. And all that's coming up right after this. Greetings, fans of Doctor Who Podcasts. We have an important message that we'd like to share with you. We've all been moved by recent events. The survivors at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School are using their voices to speak out for those who cannot, to say never again, and demand change. We are asking the Doctor Who community to follow their example and to shine a light on this urgent issue. This March, representatives of all your favorite Doctor Who podcasts and some special guests will be coming together to do a podcast commentary of a beloved classic series story. What that story is? Well, that would be telling. But here's the thing. We're not putting out this podcast on any one show's feed. We're only releasing it to listeners who provide a donation to an organization committed to ending gun violence. Here's what you have to do. Make a donation of $10 or more to March for Our Lives or... The Brady Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence. Or Moms, or Moms Demand, Demand Action. Action. These organizations are U.S.-based. And focus on changing American laws and policy. They welcome international donations. However, if you live outside the U.S. and want to donate to an organization in your own country, you can find some suggestions at realitybombpodcast.com slash whoagainstguns. If you send a copy of your receipt to Gallifrey Stands at realitybombpodcast.com, you'll get information on where to download your special commentary podcast later in March. 
You can find more details at realitybombpodcast.com slash whoagainstguns. The doctor has implored us to be kind, and in 2018, amplifying a good cause cause is one way that we can be be kind kind to each other and our world. So let's get involved. So let's get involved. So let's get involved. So let's get involved. And be kind. Before we get started with this month's interview, we wanted to try something a little different with Who and Company. We're expanding across the pond with two new members to the podcast. Joining us now from the BFI in London, formerly of the Doctor Who podcast, are James and Ian. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Brent. Yes, here we are once again in our recording studio, which is actually the location of Frontier in Space, right outside the National Film Theatre on the south bank of the Thames. I'm joined by Ian. Hello, Ian. Hello, James. It's nice to be back in our outside broadcast. Well, kind of, yeah. I said the smell of urine is no longer present, uh, which I think is good. It's clearly gone up market since we left the area. Maybe. I'm also joined by a friend of the show and fellow Doctor Who fan, Mr. David Barnett. Hello, David. Hi, James. Very nice to be here. Now, we've just watched Day of the Doctor with, what, maybe, I don't know, 500 people, 400 people in the British Film Institute alongside some notable Doctor Who alumni, and I suppose you can call Mr Moffat alumni now. He's no longer part of the current setup, and and Marcus Hearn. First of all, I would say that this is very reminiscent of the kind of event they staged to celebrate the 50th anniversary and it was a little bit nostalgic uh, from that point of view but uh, but do you still think screening Doctor Who in public given the show's profile currently does that still work? Well yeah I loved it it was amazing to be back here again five years later and it, it still does my head into think it's been five years since we huddled in here away from the rain to talk about all those episodes in the anniversary year no I really enjoy it I really enjoy it, it gives something else to watching the show rather than the usual fan thing of sitting there on your own, you know, watching your favourites on DVD. To come and be sitting amongst hundreds of other people, see it on a big screen, and particularly the Q&As afterwards, it, it, it's a special thing. And I, I do miss that year, and it's, it's been a shame that it's not happened again since. So it's lovely to see it again. David, it's only the second time you've seen that particular story. How, That's that, correct. How was it watching it with a whole bunch of other people? It was good. I mean, the first time I watched it, I did watch it with a room full of Doctor Who fans, but not as big a room, so not as many fans. And it was really great to see it again. I I really enjoyed it. The first time I watched it, I got a lot more out of it this time. It was a really great environment. It was nice to see so many people laughing at very, very obscure (laughs) gags and references to the history of the show. Um, It was one of of my favourite of the, you know, the, the new knew who um, since it came back I really loved it obviously when Tom Baker comes in I had tears in my eyes the first time and they were back again today five years later so I didn't realize you were getting emotional there I'd have handed you a hanky if that had been the case well had I noticed I was very emotional Oh, OK. He's not the only one. Uh, well, you were emotional as well. Every time oh. Tom comes on there, I, I get a little bit misty-eyed. There's, there's something about that particular scene. In fact, I was just thinking when we were watching it here that, I mean, it sounds a bit odd. It's, I think one of Moffat's highlights, actually, of his entire era was that moment. Because every time I see, and that's, I don't know how many times I've seen Dare the Doctor now, but even now, I always do just get a little twang of, oh, it's, it's, it's Tom back again. And I do love seeing that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, mean, I enjoy it. I do enjoy it. Don't get me wrong, but I certainly don't feel emotional. Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I. Because you're cold-hearted, James. It, <laughs> it might, it might be that. Who's your favourite Doctor, James? Is it Tom? 
possibly, <laughs> possibly. It's, it's, it's always the one I'm watching at the time. Because he's very much my era. So I remember watching that the first time. And I think we all knew he was going to be back. But when you hear his voice and he's off screen, it, it was magic. It really was. Does it not make you wonder why he's looking old? Uh, I, mean, I mean, the whole thing is written ambiguously, deliberately. No, the weird thing is... I had this strange dream uh, a long time ago that they brought Tom Baker back as Doctor Who and he was this old version of himself in a shed. And I'm now realizing that I think there's a scene like that in one of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books. <laughs> so I'm kind of conflating these things. So it's kind of like this weird dream that came true. Um, it was magic, really so, magical. So is it possible that Mr. Moffat is somehow, I don't know, tuned into your psyche? It's quite, uh, quite and can likely. you claim royalties, it's do you feel? It's quite likely. I think he's probably surreptitiously copying my thoughts. Do you know, I, I, I even knowing. don't think it's surreptitiously. I think it's obvious, <laughs> really. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, as we know, James, I've never been quite as particular about the, the details of canon that, that you have so I've, I've always been quite happy to just accept it for what it is it's a lovely excuse for a good moment but interestingly Stephen Moffat actually in the after Q&A here actually gave an explanation which I'd not heard before which is that the implication that that's actually the moments uh, which was Billy Piper's character for, for those who don't remember and that and it actually originally was written to be Billy Piper and late in the day they subbed in Tom Baker when he became available so there's actually a canon explanation for you there that you much more happy that that has been uh, I think that probably came out about a year or so ago and I, I think at the time Moffat wrote it and he really didn't know what was going on he just thought it's perfectly plausible for it to be the moment and I, I seem to remember there was also uh, a sardonic reference uh, in, in the Q&A from Stephen Moffat to the Radio Times and I think the Radio Times broke that story in big headlines Stephen Moffat finally explains the final scene in Day of the Doctor and actually that was misreported at the time he genuinely just wrote it so he could have Tom Baker back in the 50th anniversary of the show. I was a little disappointed when I heard, oh, it could be the moment because that's who it originally was going to be. It's definitely the Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the Valleyard or one of these other weird ones, like the Watcher or something yeah. in my book. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I think on the whole, the story still goes down as one of my favourite, I think, of the whole of the new era. Um, I, I don't think I've seen it as many times as some of the people in the audience seem to. Uh, yeah, How yeah. many times have you seen it? I, I, I would have lost count, but it's probably not, not in double figures yet. It, it's a favourite of my son, so I, I've seen it, I think, two or three times because they like to put it back on again uh, mm. at home. Um, and actually, I think it does bear, uh, bear re-watching a lot more than many other episodes do. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a big spectacular, it's rollicking good fun, it sort of stands on its own. It, it's a good fun one to re-watch, whereas not all old stories can be watched quite as often and still be as enjoyable. Yeah, that really came across. I, I don't think I'd realised that they'd intended for it to be cinematic, that the idea of a cinema release was kind of there. Yeah. Um, and that really came across today. But I think the main thing was the amazing chemistry between Matt and David, that they just looked like they were having such a good time that you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't help but be carried along with it. You oh, know, it, it, it was interesting to think, you know, it's quite famous that John Pertwee and Patrick Troughton had a little bit of a a bit of difficulty at least to start with with filming the three doctors and I, I wondered if it, that might be the same but you could tell instantly they've obviously got on like a house on fire or they're even better actors than we give them credit for no I, I completely <laughs> I, I think probably both could be can be true I think um, I don't think 
that any star is really that overawed by the presence of another star. Um, I, I think it's probably much more likely that they are overawed by the show's history. But um, I, I think it's true to say that it is a spectacle. The whole episode is written as a celebratory episode. And the thing that I found quite interesting again during the Q&A discussion afterwards was um, how much Stephen Moffat had spoken to Christopher Eccleston about potentially appearing in the episode. And I still to this day, uh, I, I can't help but be slightly disappointed despite the fact that I really enjoy the story immensely and I love John Hurt's portrayal as a doctor but would I have traded it even now for Christopher Eccleston or indeed Paul McGann's uh, <laughs> presence you know what I'd do it in a heartbeat I don't know I love the idea of there being a missing doctor I mean that's an idea that's been around for a while you know I think in the brain of Morbius there was there's quite a lot came <laughs> then wasn't there that there, there was possibly other doctors we didn't know about and for it, it worked so well, it explained why we didn't really know where Christopher Eccleston had come from, um, we didn't really know what had happened to Paul McGann, and then it all fitted together. It was, it was really brilliant serendipity where it looked like it had all been planned, but in fact they totally made it up, um, which is great. You know, I know there was a lot that Stephen was saying about you know, people being obsessed with continuity and how we're just making it up as we go along. <laughs> but it is nice when, even though they are making it up as it goes along, it fits together and it's, that's kind of magic. No, I, I agree entirely. And the whole episode is magical. And I don't think there's a single part of it that I'm disappointed by. Uh, I, I just would like my version with Christopher Eccleston in it more. And I just... <laughs> <laughs> I, think it, I think it would have been great if they could have had them as well. Yeah. But I think, I mean, yeah. I personally, I'd rather have John, John Hart being the Doctor than it, because we've already had Christopher Eccleston, and great as he was, you know, imagine if we hadn't got John Hart then, we never would have, so. Very, very true, and we'd have been at least um, four box sets, shorts <laughs> or, or less from Big Finish as well. I'm just wondering though, perhaps, you know, in the same way that Tom Baker come back to the role after many, many years of distancing himself deliberately from Doctor Who. Whether or not Christopher Eccleston has a change of heart in 10 years, Nicholas Briggs is still somewhat involved in Big Finish and they can record an alternative version of Day of the Doctor featuring Christopher Eccleston. If that happens, I would just like to say I said this now, today, on the 29th of January 2016. I think it would be better if he was to come back, if he was to do something new rather than remaking an old thing. And I'm sure and that's I think that's happen. not entirely impossible because it's something you see as you get older you kind of let go of these resentments that you had in your youth or whatever the difficulty is you know you can see now the amount of bands that get back together despite all their differences when it comes to it and everybody realizes their time is running out then they and they're probably skin in the case of some yeah, of these well, bands well, exactly yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> I'd be prepared to put a fiver down that we'll never see Christopher Eccleston come back. <laughs> I, I know what you mean about Tom. Tom's always been slightly crazy and very mercurial and a bit all over the place. Whereas Christopher strikes me as having been much more thoughtful and considered in what he's done. And a man of great integrity as well. And yeah. I just can't see it. And I don't think Christopher Eccleston really needs to worry too much about his acting credentials. He's a very well thought of actor, he's done some amazing roles. So there's no ego side to it. I think he's made all the money that never ever needs to make. And I think he obviously does have, whatever they are, some quite deeply held personal reasons why he wasn't going to do it. If he was going to do it, I think he would have done it for this. So having made that decision and seeming to be sort of a fairly stubborn northerner, I don't think he'll come back ever. Okay. And on that note, Ian, David, thank you very much for joining me once again. Drew, Brent, we will hand straight back over to you. Thanks, guys, and welcome aboard. We'll be hearing more from them from time to time about any events that are going on in the UK. Looking forward to that. 
And now, our featured interview with Nicole Mazza. The Terminus Doctor Who podcast brings you passionate geekery that's often effusive, sometimes loquacious, but always full of love for the world of Doctor Who. Armed with a queer woman's perspective, you can look forward to the show covering both the new and classic series, as well as other forays into the so-called Hooniverse. So please check out the Terminus podcast for your dorky dose of deep discussion. All, of course, brought to you with a fun side, because as the fourth doctor once said, there's no point in being grown up if you can't be childish sometimes. So head on over to Terminus.Lipson.com to find the podcast. The Terminus Doctor Who podcast. Queer, opinionated, Whovian, female. 2013 was the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, and it brought out a lot of new voices to the world of podcasting, including us. This month, we have one of those voices with us. She's been the host of Terminus, a Doctor Who podcast, for almost five years. She's an official in the world of roller derby, and she's here with us today. Nicole Mazza, welcome to Who and Company. Thank you for having me. Yay. Yay. <laughs> we did it. We, we made the appointment, and we kept it. Yes. <laughs> Always, you know, three people's schedule can be a bit tricky. Oh, yeah. So how's things going with you? Oh, uh, pretty well. Um, just getting over the flu, but otherwise, really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, there's a lot of that going on. Um, it, is, it, it is amazing how often in a day I go, cover your mouths, kids. Cover your mouths. You're coughing. Cover <laughs> your mouths. Okay, don't wipe that there. Okay, do you need a tissue? No, you need a tissue. I'm just going to disinfect everything. Exactly. Cough into your elbow. That's the best Mm -hmm. way. (laughs) If you have to sneeze, think of others, please, and cover your mouth. (laughs) But usually I sing it because I work with (laughs) children. (laughs) So let's jump into this because we are going to be talking about uh, Doctor Who and... We are going to be starting from the beginning. So when did you first hear about Doctor Who? Um, it was back in 1986. Um, I had uh, this friend of mine that we would sit outside the classroom at the end of lunch together. I just met her and we were both geeky people and I was like 13 and she was 13 and we, um, she... Oh, I told her that I was a really big fan of the Tomorrow People, <laughs> which was almost my choice for the show. And uh, oh, wow. she, yeah, it was it was really I I considered it, but there were so many episodes. I was like, no, let me keep it simple. But anyway, she said, "Well, you like the Tomorrow People? Do you watch Doctor Who?" And I thought, "I've never heard of that. What is that? Please tell me." And so she directed me to PBS and. Uh, the rest is history. Um, the first season that was being played uh, on PBS at that time was actually a Tom Baker season. It was, uh, I think it was season 14. I always remember that because it had the secondary console room. And I I didn't realize it was actually like 10 years old at that point because PBS <laughs> would just replay Tom Baker episodes all the time. But um, yeah, that's how I got into Doctor Who. Okay, I need to jump back just for a moment because I'm trying to imagine a world in which you are familiar with the Tomorrow People, right. but not Doctor Who. So the question, <laughs> is, the question is, 
How did you find out about the Tomorrow People? Was it on PBS as well? No, actually, at the time, back in the 80s, uh, it was on Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon had, uh, like, back back to back, they had, they would play the Tomorrow People, and then they would play, they called it The Third Eye, but it was really an anthology series that had, like, Children of the Stones, which is another big favorite of mine, and Into the Labyrinth, and a lot of that other stuff. So I was familiar almost, because a lot of people that worked on, you know, Into the Labyrinth is um, Bob Baker from Doctor Who. And of course, uh, let's see, uh, Children of the Stones has, oh, I'm blanking on his name from Blake Seven, who played Blake. Uh, Gareth Roberts. Yes. Uh, not Gareth yeah. Roberts. Gareth, Gareth, uh, Gareth Thomas. Ah, yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm so bad with names. Anyway, um, so I was like almost there to Doctor Who, but... For me, at that age, I just thought PBS was Sesame Street. Like, I hadn't actually visited PBS uh, in my early teens, because as I, I just assumed it was kids' shows. And then I started watching it, and of course, there was like Blake Seven, and, you know, Doctor Who, and even Masterpiece Theater. So that was my world at the time. And Wonderworks. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. I, I have to thank you, because... For 35 years, I thought that that show that terrified me, The Third Eye, was in fact a television show called The Third Eye and not an anthology series. I thought The Third Eye was a separate show from Children of the Stone. No, which, no. Which all of that used to just freak me out. Oh, me <laughs> but too. I still me watched too. it. I still watched it. Like, if I go onto YouTube and I, I want to get scared, I'll actually play the opening theme song, Children of the Stones. And, oh, uh, yeah. That, ooh, <laughs> it really, there's something visceral. And I don't, it's whatever the opposite of nostalgia is. Where <laughs> instead of you feel something great towards your childhood, this makes me feel, like, horrified. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad I didn't choose that because that was actually my second choice. Oh, no, 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 show. no. It would have been, it would have been, fa- <laughs> it would have been fabulous because... It would have been me gushing more so, uh, oh, and I probably great. would have suffered. Like, Were you a, a Third Eye f- fan, uh, Brent? Were you an early Nickelodeon fan? No, I didn't have Nickelodeon, but I, I remember that show. I went to like my cousin's house once or twice, and it was on, and I was like, what is this? And it was like just weird stuff. I had no idea until just now that it was those shows sort of repurposed and brought over here. I, I had no idea, because I just watched... The Tomorrow People just a few years ago, and um, and also Children of the Stones just a few years ago, uh, through Doctor Who, you know, right, and Blake right. Seven, and um, they they're both great shows, especially Children of the Stone. That's oh awesome. yeah, I love that show so much. I haven't been able to bring myself to rewatch it all the way <laughs> all the way through, and I know there's not that many episodes, so no, I, it's I really... um you could probably watch the whole thing in about three hours because there are yeah. 25 minute episodes and there's not many at all. I think six episodes, the standard British thing. Sure, so. sure. You know, I, I frequently, when we have these discussions about Doctor Who, I explain that I, I didn't have television growing up. But as soon as I did, Nickelodeon was a big part of it. And so uh, a lot of my childhood is remembering things like just being a little too old for Pinwheel. And, <laughs> yes. But really liking watching Bell and Sebastian and Black Beauty and City of Gold and that sort of Back when like Nickelodeon first prince. started. Yeah, The Little Prince, where everything was um, Thames Productions, right? Everything was exactly. coming over from the UK. So we had Count Duckula and Danger Mouse was a really big thing. And that was 
really like the very beginning of what television was for me, which was at like kind of the age of five or six. So yeah. it would, would have been around around a couple of years earlier from what you were you were saying. So yeah, cool. I didn't even realize at the time that I was watching some really kind of edgy programming for an American kid. You know, it was because what Nickelodeon was doing at the time was they were just trying to find really interesting programming. And they also put a lot of music programming on there, which was a lot of bands that weren't really known yet, like Depeche Mode. And there was an early Duran Duran concert and uh, Flock of Seagulls. And that really also kind of helped shape my music interest at that point too so very cool yeah so heading back to doctor who when you were introduced to doctor who what is it that appealed to you i mean was it just similarities to the tomorrow people was it were you sort of into that british weird that kind of kicked it in or what what is it about the show that makes you go yes i'm gonna watch this and maybe many years from now do a podcast whatever those things are. <laughs> what is that yeah um you know i was trying to think about that and i think it might be it there is definitely the british weirdness i have also always been just a really big sort of sci-fi space fantasy kind of person ever since i was like really little and i think it just appealed to that and plus i just i liked the changeability of it that you know each story could be set in a completely different place and the characters kept changing and that really fueled my imagination um I was just starting to realize I was a bit of a writer at that point so it kind of gave me like kind of a just a wide world of creativity to play around in in my head you know in my little imagination that's cool um I I I, there's a lot of other questions I have but I was listening to one of your earlier podcasts and you had mentioned the doctor who role-playing game oh yeah there was a doctor who role-playing game there was actually a newer one too that came out with the new series but there was an old oh, one I'm, I'm familiar i'm just kind of oh, curious about oh, yes, uh, yes because you're coming into my world now uh no i don't <laughs> yeah. i'm not <clears throat> i do not exclusively own the world of role-playing games but i'm always fascinated when people who are interested in that kind of stuff because you were playing the Doctor Who role-playing game before I was watching Doctor Who, and so I find that oh yeah, kind yeah of I was brilliant. I was playing it on the phone. That that girl that had gotten me turned on to it. We would talk on the phone every almost every day after school, and she would run like a little campaign, and she would play basically the, a Time Lord character, and I was the companion character, and we would go on adventures and. It was a lot of fun. She took care of all the, the you know, paperwork and stuff. I, I wasn't actually uh, on that part of it yet. I mean, I did play RPGs a lot more later in high school where, you know, I would be a little more active in setting up my character and that sort of stuff. But, but yeah, we did play the, uh, the role-playing game and it was a lot of fun. That's cool. Well, for those of you who haven't listened to Terminus Episode Zero, what made you decide to start your own podcast? Um, it was, I think it was two things concurrently. One was I guested on another podcast called Earth Station Who, which is an Atlanta-based uh, Doctor Who podcast. I was on there, uh, uh, oh my god, I just totally forgot the name of the episode. Was it Cold War, the one with the Ice Warriors? Yeah. Of the, yeah. Uh-huh. 
yeah, that just sounded wrong for some reason. Anyway, um, and I was really excited because I, I'm such a big classic series fan. So I really nerded out about the Ice Warriors probably maybe a little too much. But anyway, <laughs> um, and then also around that time, Verity, the Verity podcast had started and they were really talking a lot about how there weren't a lot of female voices in the podcasting world, at least for Doctor Who. And I I have a lot of social anxiety, but my therapist was like, hey, why don't you try it? You know, you can talk about stuff. You know, you do it at your own pace. You know, there's no there's no pressure, just kind of have fun with it. And so that's pretty much how it started. It was that and also getting a, a different perspective out there because I know a lot of people think, you know, when they think of a female Doctor Who fan, they kind of think we're all a monolith and we have the exact same opinions. And so it's nice to kind of have, you know, and, and they think that about guys too. I'm not, you know, making a gendered thing, but, you know, I just wanted to kind of show that there's different people have different opinions. So... Yeah, I have to say, I don't remember how I found out about your podcast, but I instantly fell in love with it when I first heard it. And uh, oh. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I have a show called The Quest is the Quest, and yeah. it reminded it reminded me of that style. It's, it's the way you edit your shows, your use of sound clips, and, and the way you talk to your audience. It's almost like I'm talking to you on the phone about Doctor Who, but you can't hear me <laughs> talking back. <laughs> yeah. So even though I've only talked to you a couple of times, I feel like I know you a bit, and, and that's great. I just I, I really like your show. Oh, that's really wonderful to hear. That's um, I, I was hoping it would be like that. So because sometimes you do feel like you're just talking to no one, you know, so it's <laughs> nice to, to feel it's a bit of a dialogue. So, yeah, I like the conversational aspect of podcasting where have either of you seen the movie Pump Up the Volume? It's an early 90s. Yes. Film with Christian oh, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah. Uh-huh. Good soundtrack. Yeah. The soundtrack changed my life. I was oh, yeah. very much kind of, a you know. Admittedly, I love Zeppelin, and Zeppelin was the coolest thing I was listening to at the time, but it was like Zeppelin, the Beatles, and Weird Al Yankovic, and that was sort of... (laughs) Because I grew up in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They only have a classic rock station there and a classic, like an NPR station. Those are the only two things that they really had, and so alternative music wasn't there. But there was this confessional aspect to the character that that was being portrayed by Christian Slater... Who is a, a you know a pirate DJ and playing this music I'd never heard of, but he's also kind of getting his voice out there. But he did it under anonymity, and that's sort of when I first discovered podcasting. I thought, this is brilliant. This is I've been waiting for this uh, all my life because I don't have to learn how to be a pirate DJ. You know, I don't. I don't. It can just exactly. I can legally do it, and it doesn't really cost much of anything. So, yeah, and yeah. I loved how he like influenced people at the end because there's that end tag on where it has all the people that are doing their own radio shows at the very end, which I always love. Yeah, if it wasn't kind of such an obscure uh, reference that is firmly rooted in that early period of the 90s, it would be fun to do a parody of that with Doctor Who podcasting where you have... Oh my God, yeah. You, know, you have like the first couple of podcasts and then... <laughs> Like it just ends with everyone sort of. It's sort of like the all the doctors chiming in at on day of the doctor when we get all exactly like all, 12 <laughs> all thirteen. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of podcasts, because we're going to be talking about that a lot, I'm going to be curious why you chose Terminus as the name <laughs> of your podcast. So it's because fun. I also really appreciate your use of sound clips, which is really fantastic. <laughs> because you know it, you can't help but visualize. T- 
Turlo frothing at the mouth <laughs> like right as your show starts. Terminus is so <laughs> it's such a campy story. I mean it's it's sad too. I mean obviously there's a plague going on and stuff, but it is pretty campy. But actually um I chose it because I'm based in Atlanta and Terminus was actually one of the early names for Atlanta, which I think that's a thing on The Walking Dead as well, but <clears throat> I actually don't watch The Walking Dead anymore, so I don't know. But um, yeah, it was just kind of a, you know, picking a podcast name is, it's a bit like picking a band name. You know, you just try to have to find the, the one that fits and hasn't been used. And so I liked the sort of Atlanta connection with that. But mm. of course, now everyone thinks that's my favorite Doctor Who story, <laughs> which um, I like it, but I don't love it. But I have gone on some podcasts talking about it, which is kind of funny. <laughs> They're always like, well, I'm doing Terminus. We should get Nicole from Terminus to get on there. But <laughs> you know, how, many, so. how many times have you guessed, guessed on a podcast talking about Terminus? Uh, I think like two or three times. So it hasn't wow. been much, but yeah, it's, it's always kind of funny. You say that's not that much. That's, that's a lot. That's... <laughs> Guessing on someone else's podcast to talk about that one episode. I'm, I'm assuming you, you know it pretty, pretty I, well. I know it. I think I know it pretty well. It's weird. It's not one I watch a lot, but you know, I always have to remind myself when I'm rewatching it. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Cause I mean, I love Nissa, but it's she leaves in it. Uh, spoiler, mm. sorry. Yeah. So it always makes me a bit sad to watch it. So sure, you know. And every time I hear the word terminus, I think we're on a leper ship. We're all gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> we're all gonna die. Yeah, I had to put that clip in the beginning of my podcast. Yeah, you two both are very similar, uh, and I and I do appreciate that those use of the clips because it's very engaging for someone to listen to it. Because sometimes just having a, a couple people talking can be well, and I don't want to see more of the same because it's always enjoyable. I mean, you find the podcasts that you like. You you know, there's a lot of them out there. You don't have to listen to all of them, so you find aspects of it that appeal to you. And in this case, having those kind of breaking points, right, right where it injects a little bit of energy i i love it and i think you both you both do a really excellent job which is one of the reasons why when brent first approached me about doing a podcast together having listened to the quest of the quest i'm like yes you please (laughs) thanks yeah i I feel like it's like sort of externalizing my brain because that's kind of how my brain is i always have random quotes and songs and stuff in my head and so it's just kind of making that you know externalized on a on a recording so i'm glad people enjoy it because sometimes i'm worried about it so doctor who has inspired you to write some fanfic of your own okay so i grew up writing a lot of fan fiction for different you know uh fandoms and when i give us examples (laughs) (laughs) um i used to write what's called RPF, which is a real person fic, which is generally well, it isn't well looked upon. So I used to write about Duran Duran because I was a Duran Duran fan growing up. And I used to write, oh God, like White Stripes fan fiction. I had a bunch of that. It's still on the web. It's out there. Um, Are they brother and sister or married? They're uh, usually it's maybe like Jack with someone else, but occasionally I did have the two of them as a couple, okay. you know, I don't even remember <laughs> anymore, but <laughs> it was just, you know, fun. That's all fan fiction is for me. It's just kind of a creative outlet to express your fandom. And 
when I joined in uh, online fandom for Doctor Who, which was around series three uh, with Martha, because I uh, I kind of dragged my feet a little bit getting into the new series because I thought it was going to completely be terrible. <laughs> you know, I'm like, they're going to ruin my childhood love. And so it took me a while to get it. I think it was till season two that I first started. Yeah. Uh, Impossible Planet and Satan Pit were my first new series story. was my first Ooh. new series story. And then I went backward and caught up. And then I kind of wandered into online fandom at that point uh, in series three. And uh, which was a new experience for me because I'd always been a solitary practitioner. You know, I didn't really have many. I had friends that knew Doctor Who, but nobody that like knew Doctor Who. So it was a big experience. But I really, I think what inspired me to write it was uh, Martha is probably my favorite all time companion. And I just, I didn't really like what the show was doing with her. And so I started to kind of write what I wanted to happen and it was just for fun, and I kind of, like, was doing it because other fandom friends were like, hey, why don't you write a story about this? And it was just kind of a writing exercise, but I I loved it. I, I used to write all the time. I just, I go through periods of writing a lot and then not, and then and I'm in the not writing a lot period. But, but yeah, it was fun. Um, is the, uh, the kind of fanfic community, especially online, is that something that appeals to you, or is that something you... Do you take prompts from others? Do you post on others specifically for them to read it? And, you know, you say it's good to help practice with your writing skills, but is there, do you, you post so you can get feedback? Um, well, I definitely, you know, I would try to get feedback, but, you know, it always varies how much feedback you're going to get. Um, sometimes we would prompt each other, like friends or other writers. We would say, uh, why don't you write, try writing a story about this? Or occasionally there would be communities where they would have prompts, um, some of them X-rated. But, you know, there would be prompts and you would kind of just for fun try to, you know, do it. It's, it's I right now I, I'm more read than write, so it's kind of hard to say. I don't know if it's changed much because... Back then, it was more the world of live journal, and I uh, that's not really a thing anymore. <laughs> so that was uh, where most of my fan fiction writing was kind of where it, the genesis of it was. So, Gotcha. I always find that quite fascinating because um, fanfic is not something that I discovered until recently, and I haven't read a lot of it. And I think I can honestly say I've not read any Doctor Who fanfic. Um, okay, well, let me ask you this. If you are writing for an anthology, but the anthology is not an, uh, an official anthology, is that fanfic or is that, does that yeah, fall? It gets tricky because I think, you know, some of the short stories that even some of the people that went on to write for Doctor Who are potentially fan fiction because if they're not official, I think they that's what they kind of are. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a tricky way mm. to figure out like if, what the definition of that actually is Cause a couple of years ago they did a, a charity anthology called seasons of war about yes stories yeah. for the yeah for the war doctor which i wrote a story for the sequel to it which did not happen um <laughs> so yeah i guess i guess in a way i have written fanfic so See, there you go that's interesting um what what role does fanfic play in in your fandom i mean you said that you sort of didn't jump into new doctor who 
<clears throat> until the third season. Right. Uh, and then this idea of kind of taking what Martha was de- deprived of or like the stories that didn't. And I, I'm 100% behind you on this, too. I, I, I love right. Martha as a character. And I, I feel like she does exist as a really exceptional character. And I just feel like she she was wasted. Not exactly. Martha's fault. Not, no, not no, Freeman no, Adjuvin's no. fault in any way, shape, or form. I just feel like I would have wanted to see so much more. And I get this desire to kind of explore that. Do you find that the fanfic and that community kind of fires and fuels your interest in the fandom in general? Or... Is it sort of a place to go when you're not happy with the fandom? Or is it a place to go when you are happy with the fandom and you just kind of want to bring that out? Or is it just kind of a combination of everything? It's uh, it's probably a combination of everything, to be you know honest. I, I know sometimes they, they have... There's this term in fan fiction uh, called tag fic. And that's like uh, you watch an episode and there's a fan fiction that's based on well, what happened afterward? Because sometimes Doctor mm. Who doesn't really go into, like, what is the ramifications of this? Like, in the episode 42, uh, you know, the Doctor was possessed by the sun. Well, that had to have some psychological consequences. Like, what happened with that? And so you can kind of extend that pleasure of a story to, to read like maybe more of what may have happened or uh, if it went completely differently than you wanted to happen in a story, you could read an alternate version or sometimes just to get a buzz off of a character, you can read a story. So it, it kind of depends on my mood, but I do spend a lot of time reading fan fiction. It's just, it's, it's that in like fan videos. They're kind of like this really quick hit of fandom pleasure. It's like this nice little response in your brain of, oh, yes, this is why I love the show. So, yeah. Do you have specific writers, fanfic writers, who whenever they post something, you're like, yep, I'm going to read that. Regardless of what the subject matter is, I'm going to read this person's. Is that is that? Yeah, I do have a few. There's a, a big website right now called Archive of Our Own. And I do have several people that... I have what's called a subscription and basically my email tells me, hey, they put up a new story. Now, sometimes I don't get to it right away, but I do make sure to try to read them when I can. Brilliant. I feel like this is opening like a lot of doors for things for me to go kind of and, and, <laughs> and explore around a little because it's not, again, like I said, I, I'm I'm not that familiar with it, but I think it's such a fascinating aspect that there's such a thriving community out there that that um, I think I've read Firefly fanfic and, and Doctor Who maybe now that I'm thinking about it, but that's that's it. Yeah, and there's such a range. I mean, obviously some stories are better than others and some are probably more to your taste than others, but that's the thing that I like about it is there's just a big range of it that you can find some, actually some really talented writers and it's just really interesting to see what their takes on characters are. You know, okay, uh, I feel like this has opened a door for challenge. So here's what I'm going to do. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like to write, and I, I find that I that excuse of not having enough time to write or not knowing what I want to write about is, is falling flat. And I've got a couple of projects I'm working on this year. But if I write fanfic, will you read it and tell me if – I know I can't say doing it right because, you know, that's – if you're doing it, you're probably doing it right. But uh, if I write some fanfic, will you direct me in the in – the, 
kind of point me in the right direction for posting and uh, just kind of give me some pointers for what I should be doing to make it better? Of course, of course. I'm not always good at, they call it beta reading, which is somebody who reads your fic and sometimes they'll edit it as well as like grammar mistakes. Occasionally I don't catch all the grammar mistakes, but I can, I can do that for you. I'm not a Brit picker, which is what they call uh, when a British person reads your post, your story to see like, they'll say, you know, a British person wouldn't really say this because if you're in a British fandom, they do kind of prefer you to write you know in a british worldview which is i don't know i mean the doctor isn't actually british but you know it's one of those things you don't really want him going to prom with rose or you know <laughs> going out to the mail but there's all these funny things my my old brit picker used to always tell me all these things like how we'd say sidewalk instead of pavement or elevator instead of lift and it would drive her crazy and so yeah that's fascinating. Well, maybe if I write something, if I actually follow through, we'll post it on the on the website. And uh, yeah, you know, anyone who feels like critiquing, uh, my and my you don't even have do to so. write. You don't have to write like anything long. Just write something, you know, short. Just have like a really short thing. I mean, there's no reason you have to write a novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have, I don't have time for that, but yeah, I, that yeah. sounds great. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, aside from podcasting, is there any aspect of Doctor Who that has maybe had an influence on your life? Um, well, it certainly had me, uh, I've met a lot of people through the world of uh, Doctor Who. Or probably a lot of my friends come from the world of Doctor Who. And uh, yeah, that that's probably one of the biggest things. Um Obviously, um, I'm in roller derby. Uh, my roller derby name is a Doctor Who name. It's Scarrow Face. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, there's just, it kind of just bleeds through my life in so many ways. It's hard to kind of, you know, separate it out. But yeah, probably mostly just a lot of friends and stuff. That's cool. Uh, do you do a lot of conventions? Um, I mostly do Hulanta, uh, which sure. used to be Timegate. Um, I have done Con Casturbaris over in Huntsville a few times. Um, that's mostly all I've done. I, I do want to start to do more. Of course, Gallifrey one is on my bucket list. I would also like to do Chicago TARDIS. Um, it's just going to happen at some point. Most of the time I kind of go by myself or if I bring my wife, she's not, she likes Dr. Who, but she doesn't like Dr. Who. So <laughs> she gets to kind of hide in the gaming section. So I kind of do it alone and that's okay. But if you travel, it's kind of awkward when you're just by yourself. Right. I get it. I get it. I feel like, I think it was who, I think we met at Hulanta. I'm pretty uh, sure this, we did. Yeah. I think because I think makes... you were on the, you were on the panel with Earth Station Who, weren't you? I was. Yeah. yeah. I think it was I think this last year was what we have learned yes. from Doctor Who. That's which right. I took which I took as literal information that we had learned. Uh, <laughs> as opposed to what everyone else was talking about was life lessons. And so the conversation <laughs> went something like I learned not to judge people and I learned not to do this. Drew, like I learned about the Mary Celeste, which I didn't know about before. So yeah, that's that was just me taking things too literally, but it was enjoyable. That sounds like me. So, you know, you were my avatar in that, in that <laughs> discussion. <laughs> uh, well, I am I am definitely going again uh, in May. I'm pretty, oh, good. pretty excited about it. Um, uh, Alan Seiler, who 
helps to organize that, and I are co-editing a um, an essay anthology called Ooh. The Children of Time, which is all about the companions of Doctor Who. And I'm <clears throat> though I've, I'm going to start reading the reading and editing the written portions of it. What I've been doing is I've been editing the art portion. So I've gotten some really amazing art, and I'm expecting wow. some more really amazing art that's coming in. Hopefully, fingers crossed, all of them will have it ready by. Uh, May the fourth for that. Um, so yeah, that'll be that'll be super interesting. I'm really quite excited about it. That would be cool. awesome. Yeah, I love Alan. He is so awesome. He really is. He is good people. Yes. Yeah. I've known him about uh, about a decade now, and yeah, he's he's just really great. Well, the whole web, the the whole Facebook presence for Hulanta is really excellent too. Um, uh, I I love when you know they're they're sending up news and and you know back and forth messages and when they get excited about a new guest we get excited about a new guest and being part of that convention is not just going to the convention for that weekend but it's that anticipation for the entire year oh yeah yeah and it's always like a big meet up with friends too which i Mm -hmm. always like so well we had a huge surprise in the world of doctor who yesterday there was a bunch of new uh promo pics and and um the new logo and everything else yesterday for the new series 11 so What's your take on the on the new surprises in Series 11 in general that's coming up in October this year? Um, okay, so I saw the logo. I saw the new picture that had the logo. I saw that they were talking about it coming out in October, I believe. I'm trying to think if I'm... Have I missed any surprises? <laughs> it's very possible. <laughs> that was video. It. There's yeah, a video. Yeah, the video, yeah. Oh, was it the video that had the um, the logo on it? Was it that one? Mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw and that. And the TARDIS okay. is sort of shooting through it. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, because I was like, oh, God, did I miss something? <laughs> it's been a busy week, you know. But, yeah, I've, I I like it. The The logo's simplistic, but I like a simple logo. It's it's nice. It's punchy. It's uh, um, I'm super excited about the 13th Doctor, so anything with her has me happy and... I hate waiting till October, but you know, I went through the wilderness years. I'll be okay. So, <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things. And I, I frequently mention this on the program: is I wasn't a fan until the new show came on. I wasn't. Ah. A, 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 I wasn't a fan in the same way that you and Brent were fans. So, the wilderness years was not anything that I had to worry about. Uh, for me, you know, the wilderness years was that year when we just got the specials on the holidays you know it was like suddenly when capaldi is not going to be on for nine months or more that <laughs> that is the wilderness years that's the experience that i've had so I, I don't know how you folks did it it was rough i mean we didn't have like big finish and you know well big finish came partially through the wilderness years there was right. a lot of novels a lot of you know the the NAs, the uh, Virgin New Adventures with the Seventh Doctor. Those, there were a lot of those, and you can always go back and watch Classic Who. Right. Well, yeah. During that time, also, what what uh, kept it going for me was that's around the time when all the VHSs were coming out. Oh yeah. And, yeah, like the early '90s and the mid '90s, and so that kept you going a lot because you know there was no online. You couldn't stream it online or anything like that. So when one would come out and be oh i haven't seen this in years and so, there were things oh, like cool. the the bbv things that were like probe the probe series and the stranger uh-huh. series and so there was there was stuff out there it just wasn't like it is today brent i'm curious what your reaction to all that stuff that came out yesterday uh 
was. I love it. I mean, to me, that's one of the main things about the show is change. And, and I just got really excited seeing the logo, just having something different. And pretty much every single thing about the show is going to be different this fall. Because for the first time, we're going to have new music and, you know, a, a female doctor. We've got this new logo. And um, I heard the other day about some new way that they're going to shoot the show. Uh, in anamorphic widescreen, like a film. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, new cameras, and and I mean, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. But the logos look awesome. I loved it. Yeah, there's there's something about that um, Whitaker's silhouette on the because you know you got the logo, but then you've got that kind of teaser image with the TARDIS in the background, and it's just her silhouette with the kind of stars just peeking up above. There's a it's kind of a new horizon, like, like there's a new dawn coming yeah. and, and like the stars just kind of hint that there's there was something there before and now now we're getting this new bright sun that's going to rise and it, it feels and i know you can't well we can interject all we want but um it, it feels sci-fi in many ways you know that that classic pose she's got that one bent knee and she's looking off into the horizon like we're going to find something new which is fascinating, especially when you consider, like, we have also been getting, in the last couple of weeks, one or two leaked promo shots. Not promo shots, but leaked shots of right. Jodie Whittaker coming out of the TARDIS with her new cast. None of the characters whose names I've, I've, <laughs> I've memorized, or I don't know the characters, I don't know the actors. I haven't actually looked at what they've done before. I haven't gone back and watched anything that Jodie Whittaker has really done, because I, I just kind of want to go... I want to come to this new. I want to come to this like an audience, you know, <laughs> yeah. like I'm trying to, I'm trying to imagine the kids I work with, if they, you know, see this new show, Dr. Who, and it's a woman and they, you know, they want to watch it. How are they going to see it? You know, not with the eyes of old fans or new fans, but like brand new fans. And the only uh, actor I know from that new group is uh, the, the older guy, Bradley, Bradley Walsh, Bradley yeah, Walsh. Cause he yeah. was in a uh, law and order UK, right? Which, You've probably seen Nicole because yeah. uh, Free Management's in it. <laughs> it was awesome. And Peter Davison. Peter yep. Davison was in it. Yeah. Oh, that yeah, was a great right. show. Yeah, I have not I have yeah. not watched a single episode of that. I actually really liked it. Cool. I mean, since we're talking about UK shows, one of the things that we brings us so much joy when we have a guest on is we, we're aware that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of your fandom. I mean, it might be, <laughs> but there's other things out there. We've we've named about eight of them today. So um, but we ask each guest that comes onto our program to pick a television show that they also love and they also want to talk about. Uh, so, Nicole, would you mind telling us what show you picked and then tell us why you picked it? I picked the show uh, In the Flesh, and I picked it because uh, I really love it and I also I want um, I want more people to know about it it's one of those shows that just uh, in some ways fell through the cracks at least with uh, the an American audience and so I love to uh, recommend it to people that's really cool uh, so again we are going to be talking about especially season one we're going to talk about the show in um, whole but in order to watch this program uh, Brent you did watch all of season one I did, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll be talking about that. So if you haven't seen the show, and, and I'm going to go ahead and recommend that if you like that kind of stuff, uh, and we'll explain what that kind of stuff is, that you, you watch the first season of this program, uh, that, that we are going to be dealing with quite a bit of spoilers because I can't really think of how you can talk about this program without spoiling 
yeah. uh, quite a lot of stuff. So, <laughs> um, what prompted you to watch this show initially? Like, how did you hear about it, and what made you decide to go? Yeah, I'm gonna watch that show. You know, I was I was actually I was trying to remember, and I think. Um... You know, I, I have a lot of British friends online. I feel like I might have just seen it uh, somewhere mentioned and thought, oh, well, that sounds interesting. And it was short because it had already aired at that point. It wasn't long after it aired, but it had aired in its entirety, uh, the, the first series. And I thought, well, three episodes. I mean, it can't be that bad, you know. And so I thought, well, let me try it out. I like genre fiction. I'm not always a huge horror fan like I like hammer horror and some of that sort of stuff but a lot of modern horror I'm not that into and I'm kind of iffy about the zombie genre it depends but I thought well why not you know and I got drawn in with the first episode really quickly and I think I'm pretty sure I watched it in one night I just kind of just sat and I kept, okay, next episode, next episode. And then I was happy to hear around that time they, they said that there was going to be a, a series two, but it hadn't aired yet. But yeah, I was just hooked from the get-go. Well, I'm glad that you you had such a strong reaction to it because that's you, know, you always want to get that from a show. I mean, you probably wouldn't have recommended this program if you didn't have that kind of reaction. <laughs> yeah, and, it sucked. <laughs> and uh, like you, I'm not a huge zombie fan though i'm definitely a horror fan but i gotta ask you this honestly is this a zombie show i don't think it is in uh you know because i when i recommend it to people i'm always kind of like it's a zombie show but kind of not really at all it's uh it's using you know the the tropes that we know in the in the zombie genre to tell another story so it's it's kind of one of those it's tricky because that is the setting and that is what the characters are in a lot of cases but i i just don't really think of it as a zombie show yeah you're right I, zombies are just the catalyst i mean it could have been anything right because it, it, it's really at a, at the base of it it's a family drama or a community drama mm-hmm. exactly and you know when i saw it uh this week uh it reminded me a lot of uh, how people were in the 80s when, uh, in the late 80s when AIDS started. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how those people, you know, before we knew all about it and how to get it and how not to get it, those people were like, you know, nobody wanted to go near them. And, and it, this show sort of reminded me about that. Yeah, it was like they were lepers. I know that the uh, the writer was talking about he was thinking about things like mental health issues or even just being an outsider, you know, being queer or whatever, and just people kind of like, oh, I'm going to stay away from them. They're dangerous. Or even, honestly, in our modern times with immigration and that sort of stuff, it's just those are the other, you know, the other people, and they need to stay away. And it really, the, the writer was able to use the zombie genre to tell those stories because those stories are hard to tell at face value sometimes. So he used, you know, zombies to tell that story. Yeah. And here's the thing too, you know, you, we talk about using the zombie genre, but this show, I don't think hits a single note in the zombie genre. Like there's, there's so little, like the, there's a certain expectation you have, like okay, I'm, and I'm I'm just speaking personally. There was yeah. this expectation I had 
going into this about a zombie show. And I was kind of like, oh, grumble, grumble, zombie program, grumble, grumble. <laughs> you know, like, uh, just, I've, I feel like zombies have been done to death. and, and, and <laughs> So to speak. <laughs> and, yeah. So I, you know, popped it in and I'm, I'm, this, this show is not, I, I wasn't giving it a fair shake to, to begin with. And I don't want to say I'm not a fair shake, but, you know, I, I came in with my own preconceived notions and I, I have watched a lot of television and I do write. And so I don't watch television. I can't become immersed in a show. I mm-hmm. have to second guess what's going to happen constantly, which drives my wife nuts. And honestly, it drives me nuts <laughs> as well. So I'm like, oh, okay. They just did that. So this is, nope. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, and I, you know, the first, it's slow. The first yeah. 10, 15 minutes of this is fascinating, but it's entirely about world building. And what I think it's kind of bizarre about this first season is you could have made these three one-hour episodes into a 90-minute movie. Yeah. And and it would have told the story. Exa- you wouldn't have to change much. You just got to you get rid of a couple of characters and a couple of the extraneous detail, and you don't build the... Uh, it, does, it doesn't build the atmosphere as much, and you've got a movie. And a good movie, too. Yeah. Or you could extend the program to six episodes, your typical fare, and really dug in with a lot of stuff. So I kept on thinking, all right, so I've got one episode. So what are they going to do with two other episodes to make it a complete story? Because you don't know if you're going to get a second season, right? So right, like you have right. to you have to be prepared to be canceled in season one, Create, the, tell the story that you want to tell, and leave enough breadcrumbs that you could expand it. Yeah, I mean, he purposely only wrote it to be three episodes. Yeah, and it doesn't need to be anything more. Like, they right. created a world. And, I mean, there's a major, major character that is sort of in the background of the entire first season that I was like, where is this character going to show up? And the character doesn't show up. Like, there, there's, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm guessing maybe it shows up in season two. Or maybe it doesn't show up at all. That's And that's fine, too. It's just nice to know that that world building was considered. Um, and to go back to what we were talking about, especially with the eighties, really feels like small town eighties, um, like prejudice kind of a, you know, what, who, who is it? What does the town show and what does the town actually think? Exactly. Um, And it wasn't the revelation that our character is queer that made me sit up because I like I cut, they hint at it a little bit like they give like deft clues and I think you can pick up on it pretty quickly it's why he's a zombie or or partially deceased syndrome syndrome sufferer it's it's the revelation that revelation made me go oh you have my attention yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's what was great about this show to me was the pacing and the structure because they could have easily just said how he died in the first few minutes, but they stretched it out over the entire three episodes, even up until the last couple of scenes. Yeah. yeah. You you didn't get the whole picture of what happened unless you watch all three episodes, and they just leak a little bit out of the time, and it, I just I just love that structure there. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way it takes its time. It doesn't just rush through it, because I, I like the pacing 
of a lot of foreign films for that where it just sort of sits in a moment and it takes its time I think sometimes like all the jump cuts and you know rushing through the narrative it, it can keep your attention but it doesn't always feel as I don't know it just doesn't feel as connecting I guess I'm, I'm not really sure how to articulate that but yeah I think the uh, I'm assuming this is a uh, BBC America production it's a uh, BBC three uh, which gotcha. is no longer existent which is why it's no longer existing. <laughs> I, I, there's definite commercial breaks in this. Yeah. And that is such a bummer. That is such a bummer because they, they'll have these moments that kind of, I don't want to say build a crescendo because there's never, there's never really uh, an outpouring of emotion um, until like that one scene. Like every episode has like that one scene that really like that color scheme of it it's very grays it's very muted you know the houses are gray it's foggy you know you're in this fictional i think fictional town yeah Um, it's fictional and it's almost feels like the town itself is dead right like you've got there's just not a lot of life going on until there is and uh when they build these emotional scenes and i was i was like spent that first 15 minutes going okay this is what's happening then you meet the parents and the parents seem really weird and clueless and I didn't really <laughs> like them as as like and then like you know it, you have I don't know how old Luke Newberry is as an actor like the actor who plays the um Kieran I Walker think he's in his early 20s at that point yeah. but he's playing a character who is supposed to be 18 years old yeah and you know it's kind of weird that you don't really see 18 year olds playing 18 year olds. So when you get something or, or even anyone youthful being played by the age that they're supposed to actually be so right. Things like stranger things. It's sort of refreshing where you feel like, yes, they're actually kids. And I right. feel like our, our um, Karen Walker, I felt he felt young to me. Yeah. And you don't have an idea of how old he is until he actually sees his, um, his epitaph, his epitaph. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and his sister makes a joke about it, too, because she was his younger sister. But she's like, I'm about to be older than you. I'm about to be 19. You know, so yeah. it's the uprising. So, yeah, it's fascinating because there's there's so little information. They parse out the information um, only when necessary. And it it strings the story along in such a way that it doesn't feel like it's taunting you. It yeah. just feels it doesn't feel unnatural, but. There, there's a relaxed quality to it. Like there's, there's no rush, which is weird because it's only a three episode. You know, it's right. only three hours long. It is essentially slightly longer than a, you know, a, a theatrical movie. Right. And yet, it is a television series, and it is introducing tons of characters, and it's introducing to a whole town. And obviously, I liked it quite a bit, and I'm, I'm quite intrigued uh, to to go in and watch season two. Which I don't always, I don't, which I don't always do. It's it's kind of like getting to know a person in real life. You know, you don't get all the information up front most of the time, unless I don't know, maybe you're reading their Facebook profile or something. But, but you know, you can kind of slowly get to know the people, and I, I like that leisurely pace. What'd you think, Brent? I really loved it. I I I'm like you. I'm not a huge zombie thing. Like like I've um. I've watched The Walking Dead. I got through about four and a half seasons, and I just gave up. I was like, this, is, <laughs> this is too dark. This, I mean, I like dark stuff, but th- that's just way too. That's too grim. Um, and I just gave up after a while. And 
Yeah, I think I did this one was, season. <laughs> <laughs> this was different because, like I said before, it really wasn't about the zombies. It was about it was about a boy and his family and and the community and uh, it was really a drama, but it had some like darkly comedic elements in it too that were that were pretty funny and like zombie group therapy yes (laughs) it made me laugh out loud when i saw that and how they abbreviate everything like we do these days you know oh Mm -hmm. pds oh yeah you know and um and even that it was aware of itself where you know there's that scene when kieran's talking to um lisa's parents and she's he's like it's this isn't a movie you know because they're like well we know like all the movies say if you bite you're they're gonna come back as a zombie and he's like this isn't a movie oh yeah yeah that's true and so you're mentioning the the zombie the it's kind of feel weird calling them zombies almost like it's a slur right <laughs> just like call it they, rotter like, rotter yeah like you know that they're not obviously they're the, the pds but the pds um group therapy but then you also get a bookend at the at the in the third episode with the parents this sort of secret conclave of parents who or i mean they're not all parents but they have loved ones who have come back and you you know i love the idea that there's this tension in that you can't you can't let this town know it's probably good other places in the world but you can't let the people in this town know because there's this you know, very agro militarized militia that is are going to do horrible things, and they have they do horrible things. And I thought, yeah, oh, that's, that's what this show is going to be is going to be how do we hide this? How is the character going to hide in the house for three episodes and not be uh-huh. seen? And that's not what the show is either. And so it took that expectations because they they you know they make this choice to reintroduce characters that we you know we aren't aware of, but the town's obviously aware of. Um, back into into the community and that has repercussions that I wasn't expecting and it really so one of the things I love about sci-fi uh, or just any fictional genre is that you can kind of layer it with your own interpretations like a good a good movie a good story you can put your own personal experiences into it and you can see yourself in certain roles you can be the proxy in that and this feels like you could look at this from the perspective and the gaze of coming home from the war. Right. And you could do this about keeping your queer identity secret and then coming out. And you can look at this as also the AIDS epidemic. And you can also look at this as, you know, the other as far as immigration is concerned. Because they they do. They they cover all of it, but they never focus on one aspect. They're not like hitting you over the head saying, this is what we're trying to say. They they show that that sort of understanding of those situations is kind of ingrained in, in television audiences by now. And they don't make people two dimensional. I mean, even the baddies who some of them like Bill aren't really good people. Um, you can kind of see where he's coming from. He's lost a lot of people. He's had to, to, um, help his town when you know down south you know like in london and stuff they were supposed to send up services to help them and they didn't so everybody had to learn to fight themselves and i mean he's seen a lot he lost his son and so he's probably 
you know, had his own issues. Um, I don't like him, but, no. you know, he's, but I can see, like, I can see where it is because that's the thing it plays around with. Like these people coming home, they've killed our friends. They've killed our family. They've killed uh, all these people. And is that okay? You know, it's, you know, you see both sides of it. Yeah, it it really did. It felt like, oh, we're going into a queer narrative with this. You know, like it, it just it really felt like that's what the story was going to be. And it, it, it twists that in a way. And they have these characters that pop up in and out that you're like, this is this. I imagine that these are the characters that would show up in a story like this in a town like this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was really well done. And, and like I, Amy, I Amy's my favorite. She's the best friend. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Amy's Amy's what's kind of fascinating is Amy's she's she's sort of the undead take on the manic pixie girl. Right. Um, in many ways, <laughs> right? Who but then you find out how she died and you you know, she's not just that character who is like that for she's right there for a reason. Like she has this second like, chance. Yeah. They they have a second chance and it's kind of fascinating to see and there's not a single character that we are introduced to who's PDS who left life the same way nor came back to life the same way nor right. reacts to that loss in the same way. Yeah. And we get is this it's a show about loss too and that's the thing is about what what it, what it means to you know this show could easily at the end of episode 3 we could find out that um this fictional town is actually purgatory and all the people <laughs> who killed themselves are having to, you know, show what they've what they've wrought onto their loved ones before moving on one place or the other. I mean, I know that sounds ludicrous, but <laughs> worse television shows have carried on the same premise. Um, but you, that could even be layered onto a story like this. And we have a character like Amy who is, dare you say it, full of life. Yeah. You know, who probably... Well, maybe she was like that in life. And that's a beautiful thing is we don't get a a ton of backstory really on anybody no. other than sort of Kieran. Like that's, that's right. kind of, and you, that takes three hours to get that simple story. We don't even know what the uprising is about. Like not in season one. And then, you know, just going based off of that, there's no explanation for why it happened. Why 2009 is the year for that and why it ended question mark. Yeah. Is it ended? Like, you know, there, there, there seems to be this suggestion that there are more rotters out there in the wild but we don't know if they're new or they've just hadn't been caught and uh yeah, yeah. i heard there's like like 140,000 you know partially deceased syndrome sufferers and yeah i don't know you don't know if they're new ones or not cuz it doesn't tell you yeah and which apparently the the writer he had like a massive bible that he wrote with all the backstory. So it is it's fleshed out somewhere. It's just he just didn't give it to us. And it feels it you know a good writer who's really thought about that. It's like an actor who who researches that role and knows how that character would react to situations that we're never going to face, but there's that still that knowledge about knowing that character so well. Um it really it does feel that way. Sorry Brent, you were going to say something. Oh yes. Oh, I was going to ask you, Drew. Um, which character were you expecting to show up that didn't? <laughs> um, was the undead prophet? Uh, yeah, 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 undead prophet. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. The um, 
the undead prophet who, who you know it's, uh, exists solely on the interweb and if the show only lasted three episodes total you know i'm like wow it's you know like so my brain is going they're gonna if they only only expected this show to be three episodes this there has to be a payoff for this, right? This is Chekhov's Undead Prophet. You have to, <laughs> you have to bring this character up. No, you don't. Like, you know, first episode, I didn't understand the rules of the show, and it's not until halfway through the second episode that I start to go, right? This is this is a, a just a slice of life. We are not going to get the whole story. We're not we're not deemed worthy enough to get the whole story. It's necessary <laughs> to get the whole whole story. You know, people are going to do things that we don't know. And we're not going to be justified in those, but that's fine because we don't understand why everyone does anything anyway. This it feels very real. In fact, that the, the, you know it just has a supernatural element. I probably wouldn't watch a show about this small town if all these things were happening, but they weren't undead. You know, like if it was just yeah. he's coming back from the war and and he was in a in a mental institution because he tried to you know, but like. I probably wouldn't watch that show. Like I, I get too, I get sucked in emotionally to, to programs. And so I try not to, because I don't need to be a wreck uh, constantly. <laughs> and which is what I would be. Um, but it is that supernatural element that kind of forms that narrative fictional adhesion, uh, adhesive that kind of puts the story in a, in a place that I, I like to look at. Well, speaking of wreck, uh, that was me at the end of episode three. Oh <laughs> yeah. my God. The, the scene with his dad yes. back and forth. Oh, that killed me. Yeah. Yeah. I always start like right, right around. Well, of course the Rick death is difficult, but then the mom telling the story about when she met the dad and I'm like, Oh, but then with the father at the end, that's just, Oh my God. That is just amazing. Yeah. I, like I said earlier, I didn't like the parents at first. I felt they were kind of clueless, and I and I felt like there was a an attempt at comedy in the first yeah. episode that really didn't resonate with me. And there's um, the nurse's son who's on the oh yeah, who's on yeah. the uh, the committee, the local yeah. committee. He makes he makes a joke about pornography that that is. <laughs> You know, it's like, what are you doing? Uh, I am watching pornography on your computer, mother. Um, but, but don't worry, I'm, you know, as now that you have caught me, I am going to quit cold turkey. And it's like, okay, that's that's played for a laugh. Um, the parents' awkwardness is played for a laugh, and it, you know, I'm just in there going, uh, you know what? I feel like this is a little heavy-handed, and it's not because once you know the full story of what's going on, their uptightness around him is, in you know, you you get it after like i i don't know yeah. if i'll watch this first season again i I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if it's i don't want to say it's not worth a rewatch but i just don't know if i could put myself through that again <laughs> um but looking back it's perfectly understandable that the way they are and having the mom open up <clears throat> in the the group yeah the group in therapy. the third season which real you make you realize that there's more to them than we're seeing which makes what happens in like yeah it, it like you figured at the end of this the third episode 10 minutes before the actual end you figured this is how it ends right okay we're done right no right. oh god there's more how is there more i was sitting there talking to my cat going how is there 10 more minutes in this <laughs> and then it just it just starts beating you like <laughs> with the emotion yeah it was very emotional to me, like in the first episode, when the when the neighbor's wife is killed, oh, like in, right yeah. in the street, yeah, like oh my god, and uh, and then 
uh, wrong as it may have been, I cheered in my living room when Bill got the shotgun by, yes. the, by the husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of karma coming back. Yeah, there's, you know, it's sort of that thing with Chekhov's, Chekhov's neighbor. Um, you, you kind of hope that he comes back around. And there's beautiful shots that the neighbor <clears throat> is watching the neighborhood, right? Right. Like, he, the people are watching and knowing what's going on. They may not be telling everybody else, but they're very much aware. And this is sort of like, how much do the neighbors know? How much are we successfully hiding? And towards the, the third episode, really, the hiding is no longer a, a part. Like, it's sort of like once the word gets out and you understand, you kind of have to face that. And um, I feel like how that story ends up, uh, I don't know, there's something... Um, Kevin Spacey movie, American, um, American Beauty, I think American it was? Beauty. There's an um, there was an American Beauty quality to this. Um, certain aspects of of the storytelling where you're trying to integrate yourself into a society that you feel like has left you, um, and then it has for a, not I want to say a similar ending. And I know comparing anything to anything with Kevin Spacey in it now is is not not great, <laughs> but or welcome. But yeah, there. I felt like we we sort of sort of get almost the same kind of catharsis in, in in a sense, but in reverse. You know what? I'm muttering. You feel free to edit this part out, <laughs> which I know you won't. And I encourage you not to because you know I need to, I need to ramble. Um, but uh, before we let you go, anyone have any other last thoughts? Just seeing this these three episodes, I was pretty much satisfied with that being an ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, maybe season two is great. I don't know. Ask Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I was I was okay with what I saw. Yeah, I feel like if they did a season two, like maybe they would. Uh, it wouldn't be as good. I guess. I I agree with Brent. Um, I was very much satisfied with this, and like I said early on, it felt like it could have been a, a movie. Um, from start to finish, that's just a, that's just a little long with some commercial breaks. It 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 told a story that I was very much satisfied with. Um, I mean, it's heartbreaking, but I was also very satisfied with it. Cool, yeah. It was um, as I said, it was meant to be uh, just a three part thing. It was uh, the writer Dominic Mitchell. It was actually his first TV program. He'd been a playwright, and he had worked with. Um, Oh, I think I, oh, Northern Voices Initiative, which was this initiative that helped new writers try to, they mentored them to write a TV show. And this was his, his work. And, um, oh, one thing I did want to mention with the Undead Prophet, I've watched this show, like, I don't know how many times, but I never actually looked up the Revelations verse that's the password, because I'm not Christian, I'm pagan, but, um, and it's actually really interesting. It, it says, um, I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and hell. <laughs> I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's pretty fitting. But um, let's see what, oh, I wanted to mention that there are two Doctor Who references that I could find. One is Lisa Lancaster who's the girl that's killed in the grocery store by Kieran that he keeps flashing back to. She was Nefertiti and dinosaurs on a spaceship. Awesome. So yeah. So that's one little crossover. And the other one is the director, Johnny Campbell, 
directed both Vampires of Venice and Vincent and the Doctor. Very so, cool. cool. So yeah, there's, there's one more. And I totally okay. forgot about. It. So uh, I don't know if this is intentional, but I watched this at work. So you know, I'm hiding in the back of the children's department on my lunch break, <laughs> watching this, and I brought my big old headphones in. Uh, so I wouldn't scare the children with the sounds of what, what I thought was going to be a zombie TV show. <laughs> there is a very brief score where um, Kieran is looking out kind of across the country. And it is more or less playing a bit of the Doctor Who theme song. Oh, that, wow. That kind of tail ends into the sound of the TARDIS um, oh, materializing. And it's, I think... I th- either it's just me as a Doctor Who fan hearing that and trying to make it sound like something I'm familiar with, or yeah. they were definitely trying to evoke something. Um, but it, it definitely has it. Some people say Luke Newberry looks like a, a redheaded young David Tennant. So <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you brought this to our attention. Um, I oh, really sure, enjoyed sure. whatever we saw. Nicole, um, if... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I have mixed feelings about series two. I think it's good, but mm-hmm. I think it's not as good. I feel like series one is really tight. Yeah. And series three, it spreads it out to six uh, episodes. I feel like uh, the writer wasn't really sure where he was going to go. He also thought he was going to get a third series. Uh, oh. So it's left on a cliffhanger. And uh, what happened was BBC three lost a lot of its funding and a lot of the shows got canceled and i think it's just online now because that's what uh, uh class was on so um mm-hmm. they just sort of there was a lot of you know people signing support things to try to get it <clears throat> to come back but it just never came back so well if our listeners want to watch it it is on it is streaming on hulu right now both seasons yes. are available and speaking about things that are online nicole if people want to hear more about you uh how can they find you on the internet well um let's see my uh just regular uh twitter handle is radiant baby um as a keith herring reference um <laughs> and uh let's see my podcast the terminus doctor who podcast is uh terminus.libson.com um i'm on facebook at nicole mazza i don't know i'm i'm out there Sure. Well, you're out there, and we're glad that you were here with us today. So thank you so much for joining us. Of course. And thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout-out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at Facebook.com slash Pixel Who. Who and Company can be found on iHeartRadio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at Who and Company, support the show at patreon.com slash Who and Company, or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. <laughs>